Blog Talk Radio. Lay. Yeah. Yeah. in the building. Yeah.
Ladies and gentlemen, we're back here for another episode of The Right Way here with my co-host Brian, my co-host Alex. Guys, you guys ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good show. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, I want to apologize again for a little bit of the hiatus that we had, um, but now we're back. So with that being said, let's get to it. We have a lot of exciting football games uh, this week, guys. What would you guys say were your favorites? Uh, Brian, let's start with you. Um, my favorite game. Probably Atlanta and Seattle. I was really looking forward to Atlanta and Seattle, and I was hoping it would be on television instead of the Dallas and Green Bay game. It really lived up to all the hype. I thought the Falcons were for real. Like that was the game. Like mm-hmm. as as good as as good as Denver is, I, I think Seattle's better. And I thought that how they played on the road in Seattle would really show how good of a team they were. And I thought they lived up to the to the billing. The game did. They kind of had a sour ending at the end because that was clearly a pass interference. But, I mean, there's nothing more that I can really ask for in a football game. So. Mm-hmm. Alex, what would you say? Uh, there were definitely a lot of good games this week. Um, but my favorite one uh, was definitely Sunday night, uh, Houston and Indianapolis. I thought Houston was going to come in there um, and just kind of give them the work, blow them out, and – I turned the game on and it was twenty to nine. Uh Indy was winning mm-hmm. and then Houston and Osweiler they never gave up. And they ended up pulling it out and I was rooting for them. Uh and that was definitely the most impressive and my favorite game of the week. Well guys, well guys. You know, see with me I thought that uh I thought uh, I would say the Giants and the Ravens was a very, very exciting game. A lot of up and down a lot of ups and downs in that game. And um I really, really in uh I really, really enjoyed it pretty much. You know, I, I thought that uh, the Giants did an excellent job with staying focused and, you know, getting the job done. Um, with that being said, let's switch the topic here. You know, we want to get right into our, uh, you know, basically our debate of the week, you know, our debates of the week pretty much. So uh, with that being said, i got to pose a question to you guys. Was Fontes perfect hit intentional? Um. I think that uh, his hit, it being low, uh, isn't the real uh, issue here. A lot of people are trying to talk about it uh, as it being a low hit. Um, I think that if the ball was too Bennett on that play, uh, then there would be nothing wrong with the hit. Uh, I think it's looking a lot worse because the ball didn't really go there. But um, it was kind of like he put his head down, he hit him. Uh, and it might not have been the smartest hit, but I don't think he meant to hurt him in any way. Uh, Brian, let's get your take on it. All right, so so then why did he hit him low if the ball clearly wasn't to Martellus Bennett? Like, why did he hit him right at the knees? That was, like, the most unnecessary. Like, he's a dirty player. It was such a dirty hit. Like, he's... Such a dirty player. He really is. And as good of a player he is, as much as he does for the Bengals, he's a really undisciplined player. Um, okay. I mean, honest, I, I agree. I, I I think that if he if the ball was to Bennett, there's no problem with the hit. It would have been like, oh, it's a low hit. But, you know, it's in the heating moment. Like, that's in the game. You're trying to make mm-hmm. a tackle. But he's not trying to make a tackle. Like, the ball is okay. 15 yards away from the receiver. So, and he's a defenseless mm-hmm. receiver. So, I don't know what he was doing on that play. 
Now, now before I answer that, we have a caller calling in right now, so I'm going to get right to it and accept that call. Thank you for tuning in to the right way. Thank you for tuning in to the right, right uh, way. Yeah, can you... right. Alex, oh, what's Brian. Up? What's up, Malik? Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, uh, I was just listening a second ago. I think um, Perfect's hit. Um, play wasn't going on there. Uh, I don't think he was trying to hurt him, but I think it reflects lack of discipline that we've seen this whole year in the Bengals secondary. Um, Bengals whole defense. Um, we've, we've only beaten the Jets and the Dolphins. Hopefully we'll beat the Browns, but uh, I think uh, I think you know, his behavior, uh, Pac-Man's behavior is just reflective of an overall culture of I don't know, cruising, and uh, I just don't see I don't see us as a playoff team, and I think that was evocative of the, you know, this team isn't hungry anymore. Uh, I think they're frustrated, mm. but I, I don't I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Mm. Now, to address everybody's uh, you know basically uh, comment regarding the birthday kit, I actually went back and watched the play, the entire play develop, you know, itself, not just him hitting Martellus Bennett. Uh, you know, what happened there was Tom Brady snapped the ball and Tom Brady pump faked the ball to Martellus Bennett, which mm-hmm. then caused Vontez Perfect to react. Because, you know, mm-hmm. Brady has, I think, I believe Brady has quickest release in the NFL. So, you yeah, know, yeah. he thought, he thought, he, if you go back and watch it, Tom Brady pump faked the ball to Martellus Bennett, and Perfect, as soon as he saw Tom Brady, make the motion of throwing the ball to Marcellus Bennett. He went in for mm-hmm. the tackle, which some people deem as a low hit. Now, yeah. what, you know, what, what, what I don't get is they don't, they're not showing the entire play. They're just showing him go yeah. low on Marcellus Bennett. And if we're talking about dirty players, if we're talking about players who can't control themselves, Marcellus Bennett is right up there with the best of them. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, with that being said, he was – Tom Brady pump fake the ball, which then allowed Perfect to then, you know, let his, you know, he accelerated and tried to make, you know, obviously the shot. Um, we all know that Brady, mm-hmm. Brady then threw the ball to, I believe it was Julian Edelman on the play, or one of the yeah. guys. Uh, with that being said, though, it's just crazy, though, that we're just going to put this guy up, you know, on a, on, a, on, a, on a pedestal, basically, and just, like, you know, deem him and basically say that he's a dirty player, he's a center. Now, I'm I'm off the player safety. I'm off the player safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't sit up here and I can't say that that play was a dirty hit. Now, what he did last year mm-hmm. to Antonio Brown and what he did in the yeah. Ravens game and what he did against the Panthers twisting Cam Newton's ankle two years ago, mm-hmm. that was dirty. But yeah. how do you also not an NFL player to react yeah, but how do you expect an NFL player to, uh, you know, react? It's, it's, yeah. You know, you got the best quarterback in the NFL throwing a pump fake the ball to, to one of his receivers. So I, that, that's my yeah, Mhm. Yeah, I agree. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think um, he's not he's not like the, he's not in the same league of the other players who. Even like James Harrison, even though I liked him last year when he was uh, with the Bengals, but he's not one of those guys who will hit it. And he's not outspoken. He's not a jerk. I think he's just um, uh, antsy. Like, none of his hits seem deliberate. Um, I think it just looks like lack of discipline on his part, and he's got to correct that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to be a suspension. Um, that's not what it looks like. 
No, I think I think at best it's um I think we're looking at a hefty fine for Vontaze Versus. And mm-hmm. uh that's about it. I don't think it's gonna be anything yeah. you know, I know I know we got players hoping that he gets suspended and all this stuff like that, but it's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to sorry to say it. Yeah, uh, yeah. The guy took time. But mm-hmm. you know, he was just making a play out there. But uh Yeah, yeah I you agree. Know, uh, I want to thank you for calling in the right way of being supporting us and uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. Keep right, talking. Man. Take care, man. Now, with that uh, being said, what, what do you think about that, Al? Um, see, now, as far as the hit goes, hitting low, uh, I think it's something that the NFL has been forcing players to do with uh, all the penalties and stuff they do for – High hits, um, I don't think the – as I said before, I don't think the hit itself was dirty. Um, I do think that he should have had more discipline um, to wait and see uh, where the ball was going before he hit Bennett, but I don't think that it's worthy of a suspension. I don't think that it's even worthy of a fine, Um, maybe a penalty during the game, but not a suspension or a fine. I don't think it's something that the NFL needs to step into. and interfere with it. It happened. It's over. It wasn't. No one got hurt on the play. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, the uh, in the playoff game last year, the Antonio Brown play. Um, I don't even think that was worthy of a suspension or a fine. Um, obviously, he hit his shoulder pad to head, but uh, the kind of the way Antonio Brown came down, uh, maybe a hitting a defenseless receiver penalty, um, but it didn't look anywhere intentional that he hit him in the head. And I think that um, once a player is seen doing something once, uh, everyone kind of jumps onto him like James, like did it with James Harrison. Um, and I think that he's just the next uh, person that the NFL is going to victimize and that the ESPN and the other media outlets are going to victimize for being dirty uh, every time he does a borderline questionable hit. Wow. That I, you took you took the words out of my mouth, you know, almost when it uh when it comes to Vontaze Burfick and how I feel about that situation. Um it's good to hear someone, you know, give a different perspective on it. That the perspective I've been trying to give people since last year's playoff uh, loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, you know, we'll just have to see what happens with the entire with the entire situation. Uh, nonetheless, Burfick definitely has created a a villain persona amongst the NFL players. Um so I, it, it'll be interesting to see how he tries to correct that, and you know, I hope he actually stands up for himself and talks about it. But with that being said, as we're in the AFC North, let's stay with it, okay? Let's stay with it. So the next thing I want to talk about is the Pittsburgh Steelers. We all know, uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Ben Roethlisberger tore his meniscus um, on Sunday. And he played through, which I give him a lot of credit for. That is such a hard injury to play through. <laughs> but uh, I want to get you guys input on this. What do you think it's gonna? What kind of impact do you think it'll have on the Miami Dolphins? I mean, on the Pittsburgh Steelers moving forward. Um. Well, I think that they don't really have a great option backup with Landry Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was a good college player. He wasn't a great college player. Um, he did some did some things at Oklahoma, threw for a lot of yards, but college is very – it's always hard to tell, uh, especially with all the schedule-padded games. Um, I don't think the Steelers 
uh, will come out of this unharmed. Uh, assuming Roethlisberger is out for, let's say, the next four weeks, I think that they lose the next three games. They're going to lose to the Patriots next week uh, without Roethlisberger, even though they're at home. Uh, the Ravens are going to play them tough always, and I don't know if they'll be able to get out of that one. That one's a little more questionable. Um, I think the Cowboys will be able to give them more than they can handle without Big Ben, and then they'll get two easier games after that with the Browns and the Colts. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back by then. But if not, I think they can get away with two wins on those. Okay. Brian, what do you think? Um, so, basically, kisses, in my opinion, kisses Pittsburgh Super Bowl chances goodbye. I think in the AFC, in order to make it to the Super Bowl, you're going to need home field advantage. And in order to get home field advantage, you need 12 wins. Now, they're already at two losses. So they have to win out to finish 14-2. and two. They have probably going to be out, what, four weeks? There's a, luckily for Pittsburgh, there's a bye week it's, uh, after next week. They're losing next week. I don't think they'll beat Baltimore or Dallas. They're both – all three are better teams than them. To begin with, with Ben Roethlisberger, they are a flawed team. They really are a flawed team. Imagine that with Landry Jones, who is one of the worst backups in the NFL. Like, he, he's like with Ryan Nassib as one of the worst backup quarterbacks in the league. He, he, and as we've seen, he's just not good enough to play. They had a chance to see what he could do last year. They should have done something about him. They should have gotten rid of him, signed a better quality veteran backup or something. I don't know. I think they're in a lot of trouble, though, if they want to get back to the Super Bowl. Because they're not right. beating, beating New England in New England or beating Denver in Denver is going to be difficult. So for them to come out of the AFC would take something marvelous or would take a lot of injuries from New England or Denver or whoever is lined up to be the number one seed in the AFC. I think they're in a lot of trouble, like a lot of trouble. I I agree with you on the them being in trouble, uh, especially with the playoff uh, hopes. Uh, home field is huge in the AFC, especially with Pittsburgh, Denver, and um, New England being hard, very very hard places to play. Um, but I think that they do have a chance if they beat the Ravens, uh, which is very possible. Beating the Ravens after um, a bye week coming off that, even without Big Ben, because the Ravens are not an impressive football team. Uh, they can still win the division, get home field the first game, and do some damage, especially with Roethlisberger back at the end of the year. I, I think I agree. I think they will win the division. But I can't see New England or Denver losing more than four games, and I can't see the AFC champion not having home field advantage. I, I just can't see it. Because the last I, – I, I know the last three seasons – the last three seasons, the – the number one seed won the AFC. And that's been huge in the conference title game. So I, I just can't see them getting past those two teams in the AFC. But they probably won well, the division barring some something crazy. With uh um, All right, with with the uh the the number one seed winning, uh I think that also has to do with a bit of a power gap in the AFC recently. Um, I oh, think definitely. this year that there's there's more of three teams that are the teams. Uh, so I definitely see this being the year that change possibly happens with that. Also, recently, Denver isn't who they were when they started the year. And uh, if you look at Denver right now, they really haven't 
beaten anyone impressive. The names of the teams they beat are impressive, the Panthers, the Bengals, the Colts. But looking at the way those teams played, none of them are actually doing well this year. Well, you know, I hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's not, you know, everybody knows that. Everybody knows I can't stand them. But but I'll be quite honest with this situation. I think Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win the AFC North. I'd be shocked if they did. I think that um, Big Ben's injury, obviously, you know, he only got a, he only got a, some, some tissue basically cleaned out of the meniscus. Um, it was not. It wasn't like an uh, extensive repair of the meniscus, a full-on repair. So I, I do see him being out maybe two weeks, maybe a month. I don't know. Uh, but I do think that uh, Big Ben and the Pittsburgh. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers will definitely struggle without him. They got the Patriots coming up, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Cowboys. All games they can definitely lose. Uh, and I believe the record right now is what uh, four and two. So, yeah, uh, I think that puts them at four and three, four and four, four and five. Uh, they come back. It's a very winnable game against the Browns. But then again, we don't know what could happen from here until then. You know, it's like I said, it's only it's kind of too early to basically, uh, you know, basically crown a division champ or crown a to see who's next in the division or whatever the case may be. But um, I think that they are all games that they can definitely lose. But when it comes down to it, I, I, I think the Baltimore Ravens and uh, I think the Baltimore Ravens and I think the Cincinnati Bengals, I think they need to take, the, take this opportunity to jump on it and, you know, definitely become, you know, kind of leap the Pittsburgh Steelers into that division because, like, you know, this is the opportunity to do it right now. You know, uh, so I think, but then again, like I said, I'd still be very, very shocked if Pittsburgh didn't pull out of the AFC North on top. But like I said, it remains to be seen. Um, we got to see how long it's out first. And right now, that's not even something that the Pittsburgh Steelers know. But um, with that being said, we'll see. We will definitely see. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you know that you can call in. And the call-in number is 760-283-0846. Once again, that's 760-283-0846. We are talking all things NFL, answering all your questions. If you, have, if you, you can also reach me on Twitter at the real. Malik RW. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, The Right Way, with Malik Wright. Uh, you know, like I said, we're answering all your questions, whether it be about the AFC, the NFC. We're here. We got a cover for you. So, with that being said, we're now going to switch. We're going to switch conferences. Let's talk about the NFC. Do you guys believe that the Dallas Cowboys are for real? I. I definitely believe the Dallas Cowboys are real. Um, I think that the Cowboys proved that they were real um, almost week week two when they uh, bounced back from the Giants' loss, the tough loss against the Giants' rivalry game, um, and went back and went to Washington to beat the Redskins. Uh, I think that showed a lot. And then I think they solidified that they were real uh, in Cincinnati last week because even though Cincinnati's not having the season they hoped for, Oh, no, in, in Dallas against Cincinnati. Even though Cincinnati's not having the season they hoped for. Uh, Dalton's still a very hard quarterback to play, and for most of the game they shut him and A.J. Green out. Um, I actually picked them to win against the Packers this week, um, which just shows a lot about my confidence in them. Uh, I think Dak's real. I think that he was the biggest steal in an NFL draft in a long time. Uh, as far as we've seen now, obviously – um, rookie year is just one year, but he is a pocket passer 
uh, that was just waiting for his chance to prove that he was a pocket passer. Hmm. Brian, what do you think? Um, the Cowboys are for real, but I, I see, I see problems. I see, I see trouble, and and it's really annoying that the Cowboys are for real because everyone in a mama at my freaking school is a freaking Cowboys fan, and it's the most annoying thing on the planet. It's like hanging out with a bunch of me's like all the time. Like talking about football with me must be really annoying. Because all I do is just brag about my team. That's what Cowboys are doing. All fans are doing all the time, and it sucks. And everyone's a Cowboys fan. But I think they're for real. They have the best offensive line in the league. That's not even a question. They have the best young tandem offensive pair, whatever you want to call them, and Ezekiel Elliott, who I thought was even before the draft was going to be the steal of the draft. I I used to call him Cam Junior when he was at Mississippi State. I mean, my man. And he's doing he's he's doing stuff that is completely different from what he did in college. In college, he'd sit in the pot, he'd sit in the shotgun. He wouldn't take any seven set drops. He he never there there was no play action passing game. There was no running game. There was no defense. And he still at one point in his college career had Mississippi State at the number one ranking in the country. And the fact that he went in the third round is is, is pretty sad. I mean. But that's not really what's making this team as good as they are because we knew that Ezekiel Elliott would be busting out friggin' 100-yard games every single week with that offensive line. After the preseason, we knew that we should have some sort of faith in Dak Prescott. And either way, they would have had Tony Romo. But what really has impressed me is their defense. Their defense was supposed to be by far the worst defense in the NFC East because the Giants retooled mm-hmm. on defense. The Eagles have one of the faster defenses in the NFL. And the Redskins, well, frankly, they're still the division champions. So for them to go out and do what they did to a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, to a quarterback like Andy Dalton two weeks in a row is extremely impressive. And one of the problems I'm have, I, I see with this team is I'm just waiting for the defense to just implode. And I'm waiting for them to give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott a few too many times. And he's a little slower hitting the hole when come January because they will be a playoff team. And come January, hmm. after getting 30 touches a game and 130 yards a game, and he's going to break all these rookie rushing records, does he have enough gas to propel them to a Super Bowl? Because it looks like from what we saw, I mean, they they smacked the Packers. Like, they just dominated the Green Bay Packers last week. They were embarrassed. Aaron Rodgers is getting booed out there in the third quarter. They were absolutely inept offensively, and this was one of what was supposed to be one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Without Ben Bryant, he's going at the Bryce Butler and Cole Beasley and Jason Witten. And without Ben Bryant, Dak's been able to see everybody on the field. So without him, it's a blessing and a curse. But imagine if Des Bryant, even without his normal statistics that he'd have with Romo, say he puts up, I don't know, four, four catches, 70 yards in a game, Add that to the arsenal of weapons that they have. Add that to the best O-line in the league and Zeke and Beasley and Butler, like I said, and Witten. That's a team that's scary. Mm-hmm. This is a team that's scary, not just this year, but for years and years to come. And and it's been peaceful. It's been nice and quiet not having to hear all the Cowboys saying, talk, all this smack. But they're, <laughs> they're, they're going to come out of the woodwork now. They're coming. You're going to see all the stars on people's hats and stuff now because they are for real, <laughs> and they will win that division. I can almost promise you that. All right, okay. All right. I've had enough. Okay. 
Oh boy. The Cowboys are are real, but their offensive line is even realer. Okay. That make no mistake about it. Ezekiel Elliott is a very very good running back. I believe he's in the final rushing right now. Dan Prescott is a very good decision maker. However, they aren't perfect. That offensive line is perfect. You've heard it here live on the White Way first. That offensive line is the best offensive line I've seen in years, in recent years. And I think it's a, I think I think I think it's amazing that. Um, well, Romo, ironically enough, in 2005, replaced a, a quarterback by the name of Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe, he had his team. 2001, that was his team. Anyway, and um, a young man came in, unheralded out of college, came in and took his spot. Mm-hmm. And they, and we know the rest of the story. Yeah. And now, Tony Romo is Drew Bledsoe. And the only way I can see Tony Romo getting his job back is Jerry Jones. But at this point, I don't care how much he's getting paid. I don't care what he's done in the past. Because Tony Romo does nothing more for your football team than Dak Prescott. Does he do a lot less? Whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't do a lot less. But at this point, this team is firing on all cylinders. And as good of a quarterback as Tony Romo is, Dak Prescott may not be better as a player, but he's better for what this team wants to do at this moment. And right now, you've got to seize the momentum that you carry throughout the first six games of the regular season and take it with you as far as you can and as long as you can. Because stuff like this don't happen very often. Momentum like this can go away in a heartbeat. And making a change at the most important position on the field 
is the quickest and easiest way to make that change. That's, it's just such a bad idea. And I can, and honestly, and it's, I really hope they don't start him, and I can really see Jerry Jones starting Tony Romo and Romo getting hurt and the team being discouraged and, and Dak coming back and Dak not having the same rhythm as he did in the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season. And I can see so it all going saying, wrong because this is the NFL, and that's, it's a fickle business. What were you saying? So are, are you saying that it's the Dak Prescott era? Oh, regardless of whether Robo starts or not, it's a Dak Prescott era. Like, as regardless, Dak Prescott's the quarterback of the future. Like, next year, if he starts, if Romo starts, they'll probably try to shuffle him out the door, get a nice trade package for him, because they know Dak is the future of the franchise. Like, let's be real. We, can, we can't front about that. As good as Tony Romo's been throughout his career, what is Tony Romo going to accomplish? Tony Romo's not going to win a Super Bowl. I'll put that on wax. I'll say it on wax. I'll say it. Like, he's not going to win a Super Bowl. Dak has a chance at winning a Super Bowl. The possibilities are endless with a, with a core like Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. In in your window, your championship window has just has just completely just stretched out six seven more years with Dak Prescott as your starting quarterback. So yeah, either way, Dak Prescott, it's his time now, and he sees the opportunity. He's made the plays that he needed to make. He hasn't made the mistakes that he shouldn't make. Even the mistakes that he should make, he sh- he's not making as a rookie. So yeah, like as good as Romo is. He's not worth more than Dak Prescott to your franchise. I, I just think that the Cowboys and Jerry Jones feel entitled to Tony Romo. I, th- for, I think they might uh, the too. Years of, the years of contribution. And I think it would be hard to walk away from Tony Romo. That's just how I feel. Jerry Jones has expressed so much love for Tony Romo over the years. You know, even even so much as saying – when Tony Romo does choose to retire, there's a place in, you know, the personnel office waiting for him. I, I, I just don't see, you know, Jerry Jones said it a few, it said it uh, about a week or two ago. He said, this is Tony's team. And then Dak Prescott came out and said, this is still Tony Romo's team. You don't just say that as a player. I mean, what is he okay? supposed to say? What, what do you mean, what is he supposed to say? What is he supposed to say? This is my team now. I think he was told to say that. I think he was told to say that. It, 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 you as a player playing as well as he's doing, as, as well as he, I don't think he threw an interception until this past week against the Packers. You're not going to just say, basically, yeah, I know I'm doing a great job, but when Romo gets back, I'm going to hand him over the keys. Uh-uh. No. Um, I think uh, when you say Dak Prescott's the quarterback of the future, uh, from what we've seen so far, there's it's hard to disagree with that. But yeah. uh, personally, I do not like touting a quarterback, putting him on my shoulders, and saying this man's going to be great uh, until at least his third year. Because I don't know if you guys believe in this, but the sophomore slump is a real thing. Yes, and it is. It screws with not only football players, it screws with baseball pitchers, it screws with especially quarterbacks. And I think that Dak Prescott needs to give us at least two or three years of real production before we can go around saying, trade Tony Romo, let's get rid of the quarterback who's led us all these years. Uh, Also, I think that 
I, if I was the coach, if I was Jason Garrett, I would leave Dak in. Uh, I agree with you with the momentum thing. But I think that Jason Garrett is going to put Romo back in. Uh, one, because of what you guys said, that they believe in Romo, that they're going to live and die by Tony Romo. Uh, but two, because Jason Garrett does not have much to lose. His overall record is about four or five games over 500 in his seasons with the Cowboys, and he is still their coach. He has really nothing to lose. As much as he wants to win a Super Bowl, uh, having a job is more important, and I think it's much more explainable if the team tanks with Tony Romo than if the team ends up tanking with Dak. Uh, I agree. I agree with that. Well, I, mean, I think the team is too – no, what were you saying? No, you can go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I, I think the team is too good to tank regardless because they're not set up around the passing game in the first place. So if Tony Romo goes in there, I don't think I don't, they'll be worse than I, 10 and 6. I, like, don't think that, I don't think that Alex is saying – and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex. I don't think Alex is saying I'm, that the team isn't good enough to win. I think what he's saying is that Tony Romo is bound to get injured. Tony Romo's bound to get injured again. Okay, he's been like he's been like a, a walking stick for the past two seasons, maybe even longer. And I think what he's saying is, and I can attest to this, I believe the Cowboys, and I'm saying it live, are dumb enough to put Tony Romo back in there at quarterback and mess up the rhythm that the Cowboys had going. Because let me explain something to you. Right now, they have a healthy starting and capable quarterback in Dak Prescott. I'm not saying that he's better. He's healthy, and that's key in the NFL, being healthy. And I think when you take Dak Prescott out in favor of Romo, which will happen, I'll be damned if Tony Romo's sitting on the sideline. That's not going to happen. Tony Romo's not going to be sitting in, in the, on the sideline with an earpiece, and it'll be disrespectful of the Cowboys organization to do that to him. And they know it. However, uh. Handing him back over the keys will be a will be a, a bad it would be a, a very 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 terrible decision on the part of Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones because I believe he will be hurt. I do believe Tony Romo is a very good quarterback. I just don't think he can keep. I don't think his health he can keep his health and you know in, in good standing in order to lead the Cowboys. You know, and we all know we all know Tony Romo. He'll be hurt. And still come back in the game and, and act like nothing's wrong with him, even if it means costing his team everything. Um, I I think Malik hit it on the head with the Cowboys being dumb enough. Um, there's one thing I've been telling my friends, whether they're Cowboys fans or not, uh, that I firmly believe is that unless Jerry Jones is no longer the general manager of the Cowboys, whether he relinquishes GM duties to someone he hires or he sells the team or he decides to no longer be involved in football for whatever reason. Uh, until that day comes, the Cowboys will not win the Super Bowl. Jerry Jones will not have another Super Bowl ring on his finger unless Agreed. he is no longer the general manager of that team. Agreed. So you think that with Agreed. these core players and with this type of talent developed throughout the past, the next like four or five years, they won't be able to win a Super Bowl? Uh, I agree. I agree with with what you said before. You said it that their defense is waiting. Just I I feel like their defense is not going to be able to sustain what the way they've been playing. Um, yeah, but their offensive line. Their offensive line is impeccable. They they block together. Uh, 
not even the second best offensive line in the league, in my opinion, the Oakland Raiders can't even come close to what the Cowboys line can do. Uh, they protect the quarterback. They move the defensive line on the run. Zeke has three or four free yards every play uh, that he can run without being touched. But their defense is, is just not where it needs to be. And the fact that they've been playing as well as they are, especially on the defensive side of the football, uh, I think has a lot to do with clock management of the offense, uh, with the ground ground and pound of the offense. But uh, their defense just just – Eventually, if the I, offense sputters a little bit, won't be I, able to hold it up. I want to stop you guys real quick. We have a caller calling in. I want to get right to it. Thank you for calling in to the right way with Malik Wright, Alex, and Brian. Who am I speaking with? Hey, how's it going? This Juan, man. Nice, nice show y'all got going on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Juan. Well, we're, we're, we're talking about the Cowboys right now. We're talking about, you know, Brian versus the argument. Uh, do we believe that the Cowboys will win uh, the Super Bowl within the next few years with the roster that they have? And uh, Al says that they won't because right. of the defense. Uh, so I want to get your take right. on that. What's your take on that? Well, first of all, I want to say that I feel everybody paying about even Dallas being in the discussion, you know, with their fans. And I feel you're paying on that that one, guys. But they're mm-hmm. a good team. I think, I think they'll – yeah, I definitely feel your pain on that. <laughs> but I think I think they're more of a, a playoff team. I think not having the defense to put pressure on the quarterback is it, – it, you really need that to go to the Super Bowl. And I don't think they have that. I don't think they're close to having that. And I don't really think they played a, a hard schedule. I mean, they're 5-1, but – they, Green Bay probably, in the last two weeks, they probably played good teams. But the other games, they played mediocre teams. I mean, 49ers, the Bears, they still have a lot mm-hmm. to show, a lot to prove. And like Agreed. I said, they have bad – their defense isn't that great. Agreed. Agreed. And it, I, the problem I have is, you know, okay, let's, let's run down their schedule so far that the teams they played. They played the New York Giants. Okay? I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I feel like New York Giants was one of the most overrated football teams coming into the season. Um, I think that no, no matter what, Dallas Giants is always a tough football game. Yeah. Uh, and, and a win, a win by one is as good as a win by a touchdown in most other games. Yeah. And that's what they beat you rushing for 51 yards. Then they beat the Washington Redskins 27-23. We already know how NFC East football goes. Then they beat the Chicago Bears 31-17, beat San Fran 24-17. What? To me, to me, that's the game that stood out. I expected them to yeah. walk in there and do what the Rams did, do what the 49ers did to the Rams the first week. I expected them, 49ers, to barely be able to move the ball, and I expected the Cowboys to just score at will, and it just didn't happen. Then they beat, they go, they go, they, you know, they, they go back to be – Bengals traveled to Jerry World, and they beat my Cincinnati Bengals 28-14, which was really a blowout most of the game. Uh, then they beat the Raiders Packers 30-16. Now, the two wins that stand out to me, on the, I, I really don't take NFC East football. I think NFC East football with a grain of salt, honestly speaking. So the two wins that stand out to me is, the only one that stands out to me is the Green Bay Packers, honestly speaking. 
And the reason why I can say that is because I know my team, and I, from what I've seen with my team so far this season, they aren't impressive. Now, if we're going to go based off of what they've done the past few seasons, okay, I guess you made a name by beating a playoff team, but really, you guys beat the Bengals. You didn't beat the Bengals. They beat the Bengals. Oh, not y'all not that bad. That Come on now. No, 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 they were bad. Okay. You were, you're being pretty worldly. Come on now. They, okay, let's put it to you this way. Their starting quarterback, Orlando Scandrick, did not play in that game. Their starting receiver, Des did not play in that game. Their best pass rusher, Jamarcus Lawrence, was coming off of a, a, a three-game suspension or four-game suspension. You allow Anthony Dalton three times. They played that bad. That they played that bad, and they they, they didn't show up to play. And you let Morris play for him. Lock down AJ Green. I think uh, so. With with that Morris Claiborne thing, uh, I think that is that is the piece that's going to crumble first for them. I think that he's playing Absolutely. in some he's playing in some sort of bubble, some sort of fantasy world, and one day his bubble is going to pop and he's going to get gashed for 100, 200 yards and three touchdowns. All right, but Juan, what do you Juan, what do you think about this? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think about this? You know, we're talking I mean, I about I think, with the Cowboys. I think a lot of the time, I think like even with Green Bay, I mean, I think that goes from like who Green who Green Bay were supposed to be. I don't think they play mm. up to par way before the Dallas game, and I think um, the Bengals were struggling, losing to Pittsburgh, losing to Denver. They they were they're a playoff team for the past five years, but they were struggling as well. I'm, I'm, I think Dallas is a good team, but I don't think Green Bay was playing like how Green Bay should should have been playing before the Dallas game. I agree. I think when people see Green Bay, they think, oh, they have Aaron Rodgers. They're going to go 13-3 and three and roll right exactly. into the playoffs in the NFC North. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers going to have 5,000 yards. And they're, oh, they're a very flawed football team. They don't mm-hmm. run the ball. They have no well. corners. They, they have no secondary. They have a good run defense. But when you get past the initial line of the defense, it, it's fair game for the running back. And that's what Ezekiel Elliott showed. But I want to go back to what Alex said because he compared offensive lines to the Raiders. And the Raiders are an excellent team to look at when comparing them to the Dallas Cowboys. Because when you look at the offensive line and you look at the quarterbacks, they have shown very similar traits so far in their career. Mm-hmm. They have great offensive line. They have great, a really great quarterback who doesn't make mistakes, who's, who's mm-hmm. very safe, who's young, who's wise beyond his years, and who can make plays down the field. But he never goes out and does as much as he can to make the spectacular play. And he, so I don't. And when I said the the the, uh, the Cowboys could win a Super Bowl, I'm not talking about this year. Seattle's better than, than Dallas. The wing is better than Dallas. I think Minnesota's better than Dallas. But I think that a, a long, long, long down the road, when the defense improves and if the offensive line can stay in Dallas, I think that they have a shot to win the Super Bowl, regardless of who the GM is, as long as he can do a decent enough job building about building the defense around uh-huh. those two guys and those five offensive linemen. 
I'm not saying this year. I'm gonna, this year, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team, though. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to disagree with you on one of those uh, the teams that you listed is better. I'm gonna have to say that Seattle is not better than Dallas. Uh, wow. Seattle Seattle has beat the Dolphins by two, the 49ers, the Jets, and the Falcons, which was a scrape of the teeth win at home, which should have been much better than that. Um, I don't think Seattle is Seattle that we know this year, and I don't think Seattle. Um, is going to make it anywhere deep in the playoffs. Um, they're not going to get out of the wild card round, uh, or even they're not going to get out of the divisional round uh, if they make it that far. But I do think that football team on football team, and we will see this in two weeks. I think that the Eagles are a better team than the Cowboys. Mm. Nah. Now, Undebatable. now before we before we before we before we get into that argument. Juan, I, I, I want I want to open up this part of the show. You can ask us any football question that you want right now. And we will give it we will give yeah. you our our input. Definitely. I wanna ask all you guys a question, your opinion about one subject that was uh big news in the morning as soon as all the games was over and that's should pass interference be able to be basically uh challenged? And if it's so, um, should it be able to question. be challenged through the course of the game, or could it be should it only be limited to like the last two minutes of the game? Um, I think I think that's a great question. I think that's definitely something that's been thought about for a while. Um, but I would have to say I don't think that should be something that can be challenged. Um, first off, because pass interference is such a judgment call uh, that you could have two different refs disagree on it, even watching the same replay. Uh, also, I think that that opens the NFL to a very dangerous territory, uh, which is penalties being challenged. And then I can see every single time someone jumps off sides, they have to go review it and see if it was the offense or the defense that moved first. I think that penalties should be something just like in the MLB, the strike zone. I think penalties should be something that stays away from replay. Uh, Brian, what do you think? And I'll, then I'll get my input. Um, I, I agree with pass interference uh, not being not being reviewed. It's, it's such a it's a it's a judgment call. It's what you think. I mean, uh, I think that some penalties, however, can be should be challenged. Um, some penalties that are more black and white, like maybe like a late hit, or I don't know something like that. Maybe yeah, like also, an intentional that's also judgment, though. But also maybe like an intentional grounding should be able to be reviewed. But I think it'll slow down the game. I think that it won't I, I don't know, it's a thin line. It's a very thin line with penalties. And and I think I don't have a problem with it not being challengeable. I think that pass interference doesn't need to be challengeable. But I'm saying penalties in general, I don't have a problem with certain penalties that aren't as judgment based being challenged. I think that's okay. But I think it's a really thin line and it gets to the point where you're starting to just really slow down the game. And and coaches are going to get willy-nilly throwing challenge flags all over the field. But I think that's actually a really good question that I never thought about. Now, now to answer that question, Juan and Brian and Alex, you see, I, I, I beg to differ. I think that penalties should be challenging the NFL because consistently NFL referees over the past few years have shown that they aren't capable of always making the right decision. Thus, we saw that in the Cowboys and Packers playoff game. I believe that was a catch and a touchdown, personally. That's just how I feel. 
but we're not going to argue, open up that argument. I just think that we see too many bad calls among referees that cost NFL teams teams to the point where I do believe that their judgment should be challenged. I'll go, I'll go as far as to say, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the, uh, the, the Bengals versus the New England Patriots earlier, uh, you know, this past, this past weekend. Look at the pulling the offensive back by a face mask. I don't care what goes on under the pile. You cannot intentionally go under a player's face mask and grab him and yank him down. You can't do it. It's just something that can't be done. Just like last year, I'm only using my Bengals as an example because, as everybody knows, I've become the new coverage guy for the Cincinnati Bengals for BackSportsFage.com. I also want to talk about last year. Just like I told you before, Brian, on the show, um, I, I believe that last year's playoff game with um, with the Bengals and the Steelers, I think that play should have been challenged. Not not the play of Berthick hitting Antonio Brown, which was a defenseless receiver, but I do believe the playoff backman should have been challenged if that was a, a, you know, a thing. I think – I think, you know, with Joey Porter coming on the field, that's what got Pac-Man roused up. And it clearly states in the NFL rule book that a head coach or any coach that is not a part of the NFL staff when a player is hurt is not allowed on the NFL field. You are not allowed to draw at another player. So I do think that if that was such a thing as challenging, that should have been challenged because, honestly speaking, that should have been not a 30-yard penalty that it was. It should have been what? It should have been a flag on Pac-Man Jones for putting his hand on the rest and a flag on Joey Porter for being on the field, thus making an offsetting penalty and only the 15-yard penalty, which would have forced him to kick a longer field goal. But, however, no, the Bengals got flat for a 30-yard, uh, 30-yard, uh, you know, 30-yard, 30 yards of two penalties, and that caused him to kick a shorter field goal. So I think in instances like that, when it impacts the game and crucial decisions like that, I think NFL's referees' judgment should be up for debate. I definitely think that they, they – I, I don't think that they make, always make the right decision. That was clearly passing interference on Julio Jones, clearly passing interference. And I would debate anybody from morning to night, night to morning, I don't care. That was a passing interference on Julio Jones. They know it. We all know it. They got out of that – they won that game by, by pure luck. I don't know what that referee was looking at, but if we're honestly talking about referees, I can't believe we were having this argument. It's been so many games, you know, over the past even three years that's been decided by a bad call. So I do think that uh, NFL head coaches, people upstairs, even if it's not NFL head coaches, even if it's Booth, I don't know, even if it's people down in in New York in the studios, something's got to get because all – because I've seen even after a game, I've seen even after a game on a play that should have been called the touchdown, you see so many times, you know, uh, you hear from yeah, referees or the NFL release a report, and they say uh, it wasn't that call. It, it, it should have been it should have been called the other way. But what are you going to tell those teams? All you're going to tell those teams is, oh, we're sorry, we did it right next time. So in some cases, there is no next time. Um, I, I think that, uh, if you want to add challenges to penalties, uh, I think we need to take a page out of, um, out of baseball's playbook. And I think we need to make that you can't challenge anything that's a judgment call, um, as far as it's black and white, um, whether it was a malicious hit, uh, you can't challenge the, 
uh, call about the intent of a player. Um, pass interference is it's a little too black and white um, for for me at least to, to have to challenge it. It's uh, for it to be challengeable. Um, it's not black and white enough. Uh, it's gray because hand fighting and everything like um, it gets it gets it gets rough in there. And I think that we should kind of let the players play a little bit more and. Uh, keep the flags in our in our belts and our whistles unblown, um, unless unless it blatantly interferes with the play. I mean, I agree with you on the Julio Jones call, um, but I think that should be more on the refs. I think that we should make sure that the refs make calls like that instead of having to have review them. I think it's more of a getting the refs to actually wake up than fixing the refs' mistakes after they mess up. Oh, okay. What do you think, Brian? Um, I agree with the Julio thing, obviously. There's nothing to disagree with. I, it, I'm i on the fence about this. I'm not strong towards either side because there's so many times when I see a penalty and I think to myself, wow, they could have really reviewed that, changed the call. Even on positive interference, there are a lot of times when someone's getting pulled, the ref doesn't see it or the ref is, just doesn't see it or any – like. And you can review it, and but I feel like I don't know. It would get kind of ridiculous. I think that if that was the case, I feel like only um, only the referees should be able to review things on the field because coaches will get too trigger happy with reviewing penalties that are like fifteen yard penalties downfield. Like I, I I just think it's a really messy situation if you start reviewing penalties. And I agree that it's very similar to the strike zone situation in baseball because it's so difficult to look at. And when you're watching baseball, every strike zone, every every umpire has a different strike zone when you're watching baseball. Sometimes a strike, a ball is below the belt. Sometimes a ball is below the knees. And that's the same thing with pass interference or something like that. Sometimes if there's a little nudge or a little tug, they're not going to call it, especially late in the game, especially in the fourth quarter on the final drive. So Mm -hmm. it's all subjective to me. So I think you can make the case for either one, but I don't think that – I don't think in the near future there will be uh, challenges on penalties. Okay, because well, I feel like that, you know, uh, oh, I was thinking. I, I, I want you to. What were you about to say? No, I was pretty much done. That's pretty much what I was gonna say. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, uh, we ran out of time here on the right leg. You know, uh, it's been a great show, Alex and Brian. Great getting into you know these debates with you guys and talking football. And, you know, picking your brain, and of course, what you guys picking my brain. Um, but with that being said, I want to thank you all for tuning in to the right way. Once again, you know, you can reach me at my email, therealmalikwright at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at the right way at DSB. You could also follow me on Twitter at therealmalikrw. And you can also follow our Facebook page, the right way with Malik Wright. Uh, like I said, we will be coming to you guys every every single uh, Monday night, 8 p.m. And like I said, we're talking all things football, answering all your questions, you know, whenever pretty much. So uh, it was a definitely a great show, guys. Looking forward to next week. Uh, any, any closing remarks you guys got? Um, all I got to say is that the Jets need to step it up. So 
the Cardinals can lose, and the Rams can hopefully still got a shot. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. What do you think, Brian? Anything else? I, I just want to congratulate my man Odell Beckham. Recently engaged. I'm, I'm happy for him, you know. It took him a while. It took him like four <laughs> games finally to get there. But congrats for Odell Beckham, you know. That's about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tuning into the right way, produced by Backsports Page. One of the special thanks to Randy Zellia, the, uh, the owner of Backsports Page, uh, for letting us come on your airways and talk to you guys, sports all the time. Thanks, Blog Talk Radio, for hosting us. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, the show will always go on. Have a good night. Lay. Let them know you there, that you're struggling to
vibe.